There are some chunky news stories centered on the famous Collingwood Football Club at the moment, but none are chunkier than the club's search for its next senior coach. You've read the opinion from the failing print media, the exhaustive football shows, heard from pundits, ex-players, ex-coaches, ex-wives, lo and behold, even Tony Shaw has had his say, but you haven't heard from us until now. Like everything we do at Pie Hard, we give it to you straight. This is independent supporter opinion beyond the reach of the club's tentacles. We went rogue a long time ago and trust us, there's no better place to be. This is it. This is us. This is Pie Hard. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. One's had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. Because we don't have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. I still can't believe it. Okay. Oh. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable than myself. It's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut. Shut up. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Pie Hard. In the middle of a lockdown, it's cold, it's wet, it's gloomy, the MCG's empty. We're playing insipid football again, and we've just lost to the Carlton Football Club. And look, if that doesn't set the tone and precedent for uh, Pie Hard this evening, Alex Watkins, I'm I'm really I'm at a loss for words. I don't know. Uh, let's it's 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 a um it's, it's a, a potent like brew. A sliding doors moment. It's a Gwyneth Paltrow kind of decision to record a podcast at the final siren, because it can go one of two ways. <laughs> um, it can laden us with bitterness mm. and spite, mm. which um you know. Carlton games always do. Mm. Or we could be sitting here, you know, joyously celebrating, knocking the uh, the blues out of the finals. But, yeah, we'll see where it ends up emotionally, this podcast. It's sure to be a firecracker. When you did um, hit me up on chat and say, let's do it tonight, you, you were anticipating a win, weren't you? Yeah. I, <laughs> look, I'll be honest. The first item on the agenda was to talk mm. briefly about the Carlton game. And we just scrubbed that. A minute before <laughs> recording, we're like, no, 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 let's just not talk about the cut on game. We don't really do match analysis of Pie Hard. Let's move straight into the um, mm. the real grit mm. and the real kind of cultural piece that you know we're experts at. Well, let's that's a perfect segue. Let's get into hard yeses and hard noes. Al, kick it off with uh, your hard yes of what is it's a little bit more than the last fortnight. It's probably the last three weeks, so we should have some juicy Pie Hard takes ready to, ready in the chamber. Damo, it's been right. a long time. Since our last podcast, and we've missed a bit. We've missed some highs. Um, obviously, the Richmond win, um, attacking corridor football, all this kind of stuff we're not used to. My hard yes this week goes to an individual in the playing group who I think probably doesn't get enough credit from my point of mm-hmm. view. I think there's a reason why even at our lowest ebb, with Nathan being kicked out, Eddie going down, cultural clusterfuck at the club, even at our lowest ebb, our team on the ground has never really like capitulated, and a lot of other clubs under similar duress, I reckon Demo would have capitulated. Uh, the reason we haven't is because we've got good leadership on the ground. But there's one guy who doesn't get pointed out enough. 
He's one of our favourites here at Pie Hard. That's right. I'm talking about Brody Majacek. I just T1000. think with Brody, yeah. Well, I don't think he's T1000. He's the original model. He's the Schwarzenegger. Oh, it's the Schwarzenegger. I think it's yeah. the 800 model or something. Mm-hmm. The thing about Brody, when you've got a bloke who's willing to put his himself in harm's way, regardless of the state of the game, with no concern for his personal safety, with that Terminator-like commitment that we love, mm. with a guy that does that even in the shitty like mid-July style, wintry, we're not going to make finals period of the year. He is a beacon for how to commit yourself to the club and to the team. And I'm calling out hard yes for Brody. Even when he's not kicking goals, his selfless, desperate body on the line acts on the field are an inspiration to the, especially the young players around him. So this one's for you, Terminator. We were calling for Myacek to get the bag very early on uh, on Pie Hard because remember he he came through Port Melbourne. He was a full back, transformed into a full forward. Sort of, I don't know if revolutionised our forward line mm. is the right terminology. We didn't have a forward line, and he was just the guy. <laughs> he was a um, backman, wasn't he? We love turning backs into forwards. We do, but he's. I mean, everyone says this, but in a you know at a Geelong. Or at a Richmond mm. as that third, third or fourth tall, right. he would just be, you know, he'd be on like high fives, almost six hundred, right? Um, kicking goals, you know, maybe not getting the full, the full plaudits, but you know, would just round out, mm. you know, a very powerful attacking forward line. At Collingwood, he's kind of it. It's kind of all we got. Um, mm. But damn, but damn, is he value for money? Is he? Is he not a Solid return on investment, and I love that you've used hard yes to um, promote mm-hmm. uh, Brody. I've gone in a different direction with hard yes. Yep. Um, this week, now we don't deserve it. Uh, it's not going to make any money for the AFL. No one's going to watch it. But boy, is it good to be back on Friday night footy. Now, assuming that everything still goes to plan next week and there is an AFL and there is a round, mm. we play Port Adelaide at Friday on Friday night at the Adelaide Oval. So, oh. assuming there's going there's, there's to be fans as well. Back so on Broadway, baby. Off Sunday, off late Sunday afternoons, back on Broadway, mm. primetime, primetime, you know, 8.30. What was prime time? What used to be prime time on TV? It was, hey, hey, it's Saturday. Was it like 6.30 on a Saturday? Was that prime time? No. Yeah. 8.30? I, mean, I think when the, were the big When were the big movies on? 8.30 was always the start of the movie. Yeah, 8.30 was the start. So 8.30, yeah. Yeah. I think any time in the evening on the weekend, especially yeah. Friday. I think with Friday, it's um, fueled by after work drinks vibe, the excitement yeah. around AFL. So they've even gone with Thursdays these days, which I quite like. Mm, but I agree, Thursday. back on Broadway on a Friday night, because let's let's be honest, Sunday afternoon at 3.20, I wanna be I wanna be chopping, dicing the vegetables, preparing mm. the borscht for the family <laughs> on a Sunday. Sunday's family time. It's Sabbath. Mm. Um instead we're having to like tune into an empty expletive ridden MCG because we can hear everything the fucking players are saying as called out by one of our um, loyal mm. listeners, Eliza, on mm. Twitter. Mm. You could hear all this. Um, it's almost the uh, 
it's almost an interesting insight, isn't it? We can hear what the, I mean, just how blokey it sounds out there. Suddenly yeah, it's they're filthy, all grunting, isn't it? It's, filthy, it's very sub, yeah, it's very suburban, right? It's, yeah. it's very filthy, and you can hear all the nicknames. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want that level <laughs> I of. No, it um, kind of drags it down somehow. It does. It's, it's, it lacks decorum, and I wouldn't say that our our, our game, you know, is at the height of of um of decorum, but. It, yeah, it, 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 there was something like after like the 17th fuck, you know, it's like Scarface. Yeah. It's, does Scarface have the record for the most fucks in a film? Because I'd <laughs> say fuck. I'd say today's game would be rivaling um, the great uh, Brian De Palma picture because I, yeah. it's just it's just intense, right? And I, they, I don't they, know whether you noticed, but like I, I got the feeling, is this bias? I'm not sure that it was mainly Carlton players. And I got my internal narrative was like, Geez, these Carlton vlogs are filthy, like the grubby yeah. Carlton kind of yeah, narrative. Yeah, yeah. It's probably not accurate at all. But in my mind, I'm like, geez, they're really dragging dragging the standard down here with their language. I think you did pick up on it, but there was one player, and I think it was a Carlton player. I don't know if it was a Collingwood player, but just a real bad grunting sort of beast. <laughs> almost like, almost like a, um, wild boy. You know, yeah, like a wild boy. No, kind of like, a, um, you know, like Bigfoot. You know, like tries to talk but can't talk, like Neanderthal type, and it was just. It was, well, some it was of them can't speak. Yeah, some of them can't speak. It was like out of puff, out of breath, but it was like you know a little bit of Jonathan Brown mixed with sort of like Harry and the Hendersons, and it was yeah. just really bad. It just it and really we thought came Crips through. was not playing. No. <laughs> okay, so that was uh, hard. Yes, let's let's dive into the hard nose. Let's keep it rolling. What have you got? Hard no. I'll keep this quick. This mm. this could be a pies wide shut. In itself, mm. of course, mm. um, we've been there before. But you know the shit going down with all of the legal mumbo jumbo threats back and forth around the EGM and the lodging of the members' petition to spill the board. We've got Francis Galbally on one side, who's on Brown's side, mm. and he's, uh, you know, he he's apparently reported the club to ASIC for not releasing the members' signatures. We've got Darth Corder on the other side who's refusing to release the signatures mm. um, and saying there's no petition that's been lodged. The club has um, the club has acquired the services cost-free mm. of Zwire, someone Zwire, of Arnold, Blo- Arnold Blotch Liebler, known in legal yep. circles as Mr. Fix-It. Mm. And the strategy is pretty clear, like from Quarter and Co. Current board is like, let's just like entangle this whole issue in a mire of like legal technicalities mm. and like basically grind it to a halt, so that yeah, by the time let's, tw- let's twist it up, the old twist method. Let's just let's yeah, just entangle get the it. tentacles get it. going. This kind of mm. blue ringed octopus. Mm. And by the time, if the petition ever is served or the mm. members, you know, the EGM ever is forced or whatever, we'd have no idea mm. if that's going to happen because it's so opaque. Mm. By the time that takes place, all the wind will be out of brown sails and whatever. Mm. It's kind of a whack. It's a hard no for both sides uh, just with the kind of legalistic jargon mm. um, that really doesn't relate to the common magpie supporter. But what I will say is that magpie supporters should know and should be given clear information about what is who is and is not a voting member my old man who's been a member for the same amount of time i have um you know which is about 22 years 23 years Hmm. um doesn't know whether he's a voting member or not and 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 it's very difficult to get the information so Hmm. look hard no 
let's disentangle all this legal rhetoric and just communicate clearly, as our friend of the pod, Paul Curious, said was a priority going forward. Commun- communicate clearly with the members about what the state of affairs is with the petition, who is a voting member, who isn't, and let's see if we can get this resolved sometime this decade. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. With my hard no, you know I've spoken about this a lot. So we we find Collingwood mer- merchandise like really uninspiring. Mm. Um, we have for a long time. We thought that Nike coming along would like, you know, put us up in the upper echelon along with like, you know, NFL gear, NBA gear, mm. like, you know, it, it just Nike, Nike in general, right, mm. would elevate the the Collingwood merchandise offering to a new level. Star athletic kind of level. Star athletic level, stratosphere level. So we've, we've been really disappointed. We haven't seen a lot of stuff. Posted something on on Instagram last week from 1994, this young kid wearing like this kind of sick looking coach's varsity jacket, just like a black jacket button up mm, with nice. just a simple simple logo on the chest, like no LK financial or whatever it's called. No fly Emirates. None of that sh- none of that shit. Just, yeah, like, just look at that. It's, I'm wearing a hat here. It's fucking yeah, Latrobe. Who wants Latrobe? Just like the a- word Latrobe. You oh know, there's God. nothing international about that. No, That's really dragging you into the suburban mire. Latrobe bad. financial on the back of my head. Terrible Helvetica font. Yeah. So anyway, we were we were downtrodden until I stumbled across the Collingwood timepiece. Now, have you heard of the Australian watch brand Bazel? No. No. Well, it's apparently it's a big watch brand in Australia. Like today. Uh, Was this yesteryear or today? No, this is right now. This wow. is right now, okay. baby. This is right now. So the Collingwood. I'll I'll read it out. It's it's actually been reduced. It's you can actually if you can save four hundred and ninety one dollars on this watch. It's down from eleven hundred to six ninety nine at the moment. It's brand new as well. So it's Jesus. an instant, it's like an instant forty five percent off, which is mm. huge. So Bazel, the only premium AFL timepiece partner, are proud to announce limited edition Collingwood Magpies timepiece. It's a watch. It does all the things that a watch does. It tells the time. It looks very watchy. It's got like a silver watch band like it looks it looks pretty good to be honest not shit canning this watch at all oh yeah got but, it up here it's got like mm. those multiple little mini watch things inside the watch like little yeah circles. it's got a start yeah makes it look like you t- go diving time, really timers deep. and shit like that yeah it's like for diving and stuff like that but got a bezel what caught my eye was mm. that the collingwood magpies timepiece will house and display in the crown actual soil from Victoria Park, Collingwood Spiritual Home. So, yeah, you heard that right. You heard that right. Everyone. I didn't expect that. You've dropped your bottle of uh, blast on the floor. It's smashed into smithereens. You're reaching for the soil. Uh, you're reaching for the spittoon as we speak. This is a, ti- a brand new timepiece which contains grit, dirt, and soil from Victoria Park. It's funny because In- when you have a bezel, that always kind of gets gritty and fucked after a while anyway. So it's kind of speeding up the degradation of the. Hmm. Now, I don't, know if, I don't know when the last time you went down to Victoria Park is, Al, but I was down there the other week and I think I stepped in about 13 pieces of uh, dog excrement. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a fully it's fledged. It's a dog park. It's a dog park. 
it's a fully fledged dog park and we love dogs and um, it was beautiful. It was lovely seeing all the dogs running around. Lots of greyhounds actually. Fashionable. Um, down there, very, Rescued, very, very on dogs. trend. In very and on off. trend animal. Um, so immediately I'm just I'm just a little bit concerned about the level of canine DNA mm. which will filter its way in to this beautiful, exquisite Bazelle timepiece because, well, I, I I just hope they've screened a lot of this soil because, again, even without it, the uh, the Merry Creek soil, it's very, it's tar. Gritty. It's basically, it's a La Brea tar pit. It's mostly kind of crushed needles from the 90s. <laughs> There are there are a few things that that will eventually, you know, kind of like Sovereign Hill sift its way up to the surface in the Bazel timepiece. So it should come with an actual warning. But um, the irony is that in order to kind of elevate the merchandising to a new level, they've mm. uh, inadvertently released a piece of dog shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> we think we think, and look, we don't know when this um, soil was lifted from Victoria Park. Whether it was in the early 1900s, the 80s. Where is uh, it? Where's that in the watch? I'm looking at a picture of the watch. It looks very clean. In fact, it looks like a. It doesn't even look like a proper photograph. It looks like a computer mm. representation of the watch. It's a render. Yeah, it's, it's a, a render. Yeah. Now, where do they say the soil lives? In the crown. What's the crown? It's, is that well, the twisty bit? The crown must be the top, the the top bit of it, like the face. It's looking remarkably clean from uh, what I can see, but um, <laughs> does it, it, it? But does it smell? I mean, that, that's the question yeah. we need to get to the bottom of. And and do Collingwood the- supporters need to see the time, or is it okay if it's kind of their vision is obfuscated by soil mm. dog shit? These are big mm. questions, and um, I think we need to get to the bottom of this. Um, and for anyone that's listening doesn't understand what we're talking about, a timepiece mm. is actually a watch. It's a fancy name for watch. Very mm. un-Collingwood. Yeah. Okay, so hard no is uh, Victoria Park soil watches. Okay, let's move on to our main feature of this podcast, this episode. And as we touched on at the start... Uh, we feel it's only right for Pie Hard mm-hmm. to lift the lid on where things are at with this very important coach selection process yep. and potentially give some extra perspective on who is in the frame, mm. but more importantly, who does Pie Hard think would be the right selection for driving the club forward now i've developed a little bit of a segment so i we will dive into that mm-hmm. um i'm actually going to share with you at some point alex a favorite of mine and give you some reasons as to why i think this favorite should um be in the senior coaching position i also have mapped out a bit of a plan to appeal to this said individual mm. but before i do this is a little segment called how it started, how it ended. So we've gone back into the Pie Hard archives and delved into them to examine the key appointments of three Collingwood coaches. Now, for breadth and efficiency, we're not going to speak about Nathan. 
mm-hmm. because I think Nathan's still very fresh in the mind of all um, of all of our listeners, and we're not going to go into into the details around his demise because we did that two episodes ago. Yeah. So we're going to focus on three Collingwood coaches of the modern era, Lee Matthews, Tony Shaw, and of course, master coach Mick Malthouse. So let me start with Lee Matthews. So this is how it started. So Matthews had finished at Hawthorne, was approached to join Collingwood as an assistant coach. Um, now he was appointed as an assistant coach to Bob Rose in 1986. I think be, having been approached the previous year with an understanding that in 1987 he would take over as a senior coach. Mm-hmm. But after three losses, it's always, it's not, not a lot of losses is there before the axes swung with Collingwood, isn't it? But after three <laughs> losses to start the 86 season and a bit of a tumultuous time off, off, off field, uh, Matthews was handed the reins. Mm. So he's bought in. So Matthews was brought on to do a couple of things. He was there primarily to transform the club into the modern era and to do so kind of had to sever all of the issues that the club faced, basically the mental issues around the failures of the past and all the lost grand finals. And presumably bring his Hawthorne psychology of success. That was a his good edge. difference, mm. you know, differentiating factor from the Collie Wobbles of the past, right? Exactly. So he set about divorcing the club of the pressures that had been there mm-hmm. and really focusing, like this is this is really big for, for Matthews at the time, but focusing the club on the present and the future, not the past. Um, and he was very strong in his messaging of urging Collingwood and the players, so not Collingwood, the players, to make their own history and not be part of something that they had no hand in. Mm. So... At the start, he was like both equally excited by the challenge but also very realistic and he said this to the media, I make no promises whatsoever. Talk of premierships and the top five are pretty much folly. Let's just take it one week at a time. Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting about Matthews was he set about to build the Collingwood side based on defence. And that's I think that's a really interesting point and we're going to touch on it again. Uh, he also wanted, as you said, to indoctrinate those kind of like principles that had driven Hawthorne through the 80s um, and, and sort of have that ladder through into Collingwood. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but things went pretty well for Matthews. He had a couple of sort of like he had a really strong first year, mm. a couple of average years where he slipped, and then it sort of all came together magically in 1990. And I don't know if you remember this, but after the 1990 AFL Grand Final then Collingwood President Ellen McAllister decreed at the Southern Cross. You remember the Southern Cross, the old mm. um, the old hotel? Um, stayed there a couple of times as a kid. It was where the Beatles stayed when they were when they were in Melbourne. Yeah, okay. Um, like Top of Burke or something? Yeah, it was like the it was like the it was like the Crown Casino of its day, you know, that's where all the you know the Brownlow was held and everything was kind yeah, of done okay. in the in the auditorium. Anyway, he decreed I I I I get off topic, but he decreed that Lee Matthews had a job for life and he was quoted as saying, Matthews won't get away from us until he is too old and decrepit to do anything for anyone else. He's on record (laughs) as saying that. Now, it's quite morbid. Five years later, Matthews was sacked by the same, the very president that decreed that. um, Did he use the word decrepit? 
He did. That's great. <laughs> look, 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 let's be honest. Alan McAllister's choice of words was never uh, strong. <laughs> never suit. of the uh, yeah, never of the uh, the highest the highest acclaim. Um, but fired at the end of 1995 and obviously moved to – so this is the how it ended bit. Fired yeah. in 95 and moved to Brisbane where he coached the Lions to three premierships, two against Collingwood. If McAllister now, had a stuck to his word, um, a decrepit Matthews might have bought us three premierships, although I must say that part of Matthews' success at Brisbane was possibly all that, you know, confining of the clubs. But still, we yet again boned uh, a successful coach uh, mm. for an untried – legend of the playing group. So Tony Shaw, how it started. So Shaw finished in 94 and at that point he was fated. He was, and he still is, right? So, but he is considered one of the greatest magpie players of all time, held the club record, which Pendlebury's since beat, beat uh, of 313 games, had won two Copeland trophies. He'd won the Norm Smith, all Australian, was a premiership captain, delivered Collingwood, its first premiership in 32 years. All for a guy who couldn't kick the ball. Exactly, right? Exactly. So that I think that that there's something in that, right? There's a there's the determination of Tenacious. a guy that maybe didn't have the um, the best skill sets or the natural ability, but he did have football smarts. And many people had commented about Tony Shaw about not only was he fantastic at inspiring people around him, mm. but he had a very good um, football brain. Now he was approached after he finished at Collingwood by none other than the Carlton Football Club to become an assistant coach under David Parkin. David Parkin at the time was definitely one of the uh, legendary figures of the, of the coaching rank. Collingwood got wind of the offer and swooped, offering him a similar, similar role at Victoria Park under Lee Matthews. He said yes. What year is this? Is this 95? This is 1995. So that's actually Carlton's premiership year. So that could have potentially as a lieutenant Parkin actually could have done good things for the longevity of Shaw's career, but he chose heart overhead, didn't he? Massive fork in the road. And look, we'll we'll touch on this throughout this episode, but these forks in the road where I think coaches choose the comfortable option over the tough option mm. re- is really career defining in many ways and not always the best decision as we've as history has taught us. But Tony's Gwyneth moment. Off topic. So, uh, yeah, Tony was brought in, assistant to Matthews. Matthews was dumped at the end of 90, what did we say? At the end of 95. So, at 96, Tony takes over. Now, Tony's promise to the media was in brackets changes and new ideas. And I've got to say, for the most part, I know you're looking at me, I know you've got your eyebrows raised, but for the most part, he actually delivered so he introduced a new game plan which was very attacking. Okay. And he also encouraged his players to kind of adapt to new structures. So there was a big, big emphasis placed on structures mm-hmm. and how the team would fe- function in, in terms of set plays. Now, this approach in, what is it, 96? Like now set plays are, are kind of the rigor, right? Mm. But back then Tony was very much a leading light in Ahead this of scenario. His time. Ahead of his time. Now, it had it paid instant dividends for the Collingwood Magpies in the form of reasonable scores and very high percentages. But as Leaky. was a key feature of the Shaw years, they could not convert high scores and good percentages into wins. Leaky, leaky, leaky. Leaky. So finals eluded the Magpies. Not only that, 
the team found itself at the bottom. Mm. So two years outside of the finals, convinced Shaw that he'd he'd spoiled the broth. He'd gone too hard on his aggressive play and he needed to rein it back. So okay. he, all of those adventurous elements that he brought into the game, he realized he had to, he had to pull that back. Now, Shaw's problem, and he admitted this later in an interview, I think, with um, don't know, with someone, but he admitted that he overcorrected and tightened up too much. So this uh, is a game okay. of inches. This is a, th- these are decisions that live to haunt individuals. And of course, you know, that strong attacking play that the Pies had had um, initiated that they couldn't get right then became this even worse style of football where we couldn't score. The results weren't pretty. We ended up at the bottom of the ladder. And and this is an era yeah. where we have all-time pie-hard favourite, one of, mm. Sav, up forward. So you'd think that an attacking game Sav plan. Sav kicking nine, 96 goals, you know. like Yeah, you know. like you'd think that attacking. I mean, the 90s in general for forwards, for power forwards, was the absolute like peak of, you know, Attacking flamboyance, really. Mm. When you look at the Dunstalls and Ablets, Carey coming in. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right, interesting so- that he actually he actually ha- felt that he'd gone too far and then he retracted some of those mm. more exuberant instincts that he had. Too many extremes with Tony, but how did it end, in a word, badly? Mm. Well, that's true. I don't know if you remember, but the club in a clandestine meeting sought out Damien Drum to become the coach of the Collingwood Football Club. Oh, okay. Who went to the Dockers and, at some stage, right? Well, Tony got wind of it. Yeah, he went to the Dockers the following year, but okay. um, it was kind of leaked. Tony was devastated. The club was red-faced, embarrassed, apologised, um, and so incensed at the treatment of the club legend uh, was a young Eddie Maguire mm. um, propelling Eddie to throw his hat into the ring for the Collingwood presidency. But... Despite all of that, a year later, Tony was gone, out the door, enter Mick Malthouse. Now, I understand that also Tony, in that changeover with Mick, he was given a heads up that that was taking place and he agreed to coach out the year. He was, what I'm saying is he was quite philosophical about the fact the club was going to go with Mick, was going to target Mick, and I think that he, he was graceful in that changeover as far as I can recall. Well, ever the club man, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if anyone was going to do that, it would be it would be the, the legend of the club that is Tony Shaw. But you are right. He, um, he was tapped and agreed to see it out. Um, and then we all know how the Malthouse reign started. It was, uh, it was a convertible Lexus. Oh, yeah. A, a spotlight, a smoke machine. Mm. Lazy Susan. It wasn't actually the there, but. You, know, memories. You, should, you should say the largest lazy Susan in the Southern Hemisphere, surely. Mm. And I actually, I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I saw another photo the other day mm. of that moment of the unveiling of Meek and Buckley. And I didn't realise that, I mean, this is just the, mm. the icing on the cake, was in the back seat as the, and we've covered this, so the mm. listeners are like, they're talking about this again? Yeah. In the back seat of the yes, convertible. Yes, we are. Yes, we are talking about this again. And we will talk about it every goddamn fortnight. In the back seat of the, con- of the Lexus convertible, as it automatically, the roof automatically went back, Eddie was sitting behind Mick. Yeah. And I'd forgotten that. 
<laughs> the symbology of that. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Loitering in the back seat without the leg room. I think we've, we've covered this on Pi Hub before, but it was actually, this is, and all of you fact finders out there, you'll love this one, but it was actually a Volvo. What? It wasn't a Lexus. It was a Volvo convertible. Are Volvo, you fucking serious? Yeah. We've been this calling is, this, it a Lexus the whole time. No, this is why, right? Because this is before Lexus came on as a sponsor and they did the Lexus Bob Rose. I think that was like the year later oh, or the year after that. God. But this was, Volvo was the first sponsor of Mick Malthouse. And the reason why you think it's a Lexus is because when Collingwood signed Lexus, they did it again with Buckley and Lecurious sitting in the convertible. Oh, but so yeah, just, like just, just, just to distinguish. So there's two, this is like, mm. this is like a mind blowing mm. revelation to me. There's mm. two separate historical moments there when are. the administration of Collingwood decided to roll out key personnel in the club, in leadership of the mm. club, inside a convertible onto a Lazy Susan, mm. which we've established wasn't actually there, but many people remember it as a Lazy Susan for some unknown reason. There's two separate moments. That's I think for the – yeah, yeah. So, look, if I can be stuffed, I'll, I'll, I'll pull stills of both convertibles, stitch them together and, and slam them up on the ground. But I think for the pie-hard end-of-season trip, we should definitely hire a convertible. Mm. Even try even try and track down one that the, the same Volvo or the same, uh, and then Thelma and Louise style just kind of bang around um, Marvel Stadium. Well, we've talked about having the um, end of season Payard function at the the Hilton, um, which is now the Pullman, and we mm. could park the convert said convertible underneath. And on Grand Final Day, which is mm. the day of the function, um, mm. we'll obviously be drowning our sorrows that's in the penthouse. Mm. We will. Uh, go down to the convertible in the basement there, drive it out and over the road into um, Yarra Park to park mm. up then to take our seats in the MCG to watch some two unknown teams um, contend for another asterisk flag. Well, I think you can drive cars into function centres these days because they do a lot of auto launches. But, I mm. mean, we could probably even do that. We could probably park it inside the... I mean, we need to talk about the, the the money because that sounds very expensive. But let let me continue. Let me continue on okay. with yep. the Malthouse how it started because we know that he helped drag a broken and busted Collingwood out of that kind of nineties malaise where mm-hmm. we'd won the flag and then it kind of like started to falter and Matthews was gone and then Shaw came in and it was a disaster and off field success eluded us and. You know, he set about trying to bring Collingwood back to being a football power. Yeah. Um, and this whole narrative of like this restoration of pride, um, not only did it help propel the club into that sort of era of the early 2000s where we made a couple of grand finals but weren't successful. But made money. Um, Started making money. money again. That was key. Yeah, that, that was key. But started bringing sponsors in and just really started to, turn the ship around. Yeah. Um, and look, hats off to Maguire who saw Malthouse House as that kind of visionary figure who could do that. He had seen him do it at West Coast, winning two flags. Uh, little known fact, but Malthouse was once a, a childhood Collingwood supporter. Oh, so that okay. that was, yeah. again, one of the uh, lures, um, not, not the main one, but one of the lures that Maguire used to kind of tempt him and his family back him and Nanette back from um, from Perth. But in a column that Mick Malthouse wrote, I think this was in the Australian. I thought you said on- in a net. 
back from Port Perth, <laughs> coax him into a net, drag him, like trap him in a net. Uh, dra- but no, you, Annette is his wife's name. Sorry, go on. It's Nanette, isn't it? Oh, it's Nanette. Yeah, no, no, it's an odd one. Okay. Um, Okay, so in a column in The Australian on the day that he was hired at Collingwood, he said, or he wrote, expect no miracles or quick fixes, but the odd success is not enough. Everyone at Collingwood will be aiming for long-term excellence into the 21st century. So Mm. you can kind of fast forward to 2010. The jigsaw puzzle was complete with, with Jolly joining from Sydney and Luke Ball from St Kilda. The deficiencies were fixed. The the team built on this like energetic youth base. Mm. Um, and um, you know Ernst Rommel's North African campaign. Absolutely, Let's not forget yes, about absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. And what was it? What was it about the 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 Erwin Rommel uh, frontal pressure that and the Roman Legion, if memory serves correct, the two historic. Inspirations behind the Malthouse strategy that took us to the flag. Exactly, um, but, he but didn't what was it? That he what was it about? Stole it off St Kilda. <laughs> he did, didn't he? He, he, stole, he did. He stole <laughs> elements from St Kilda. But um, yeah, the, look, the Rommel formation was really about. It was a defence first mechanism. Yeah. Okay. It was it, it was defence in numbers essentially. So you had look to summarise. That's it. That's the three. To summarise, you had um. Matthews with a defence-first mindset, Mick Malthouse with a German military-inspired defence-first mm. mindset, and then Uncle Tone who went full on attack, went whoa all the way back to defence and clearly didn't get the balance right. So I want to ask you a question. Who delivered on their promise? Of those three, who do you feel most delivered on their on their initial promise to the Collingwood Football Club? That's an interesting question. Well, it seems to me that Lee Matthews didn't make any big promises. So he set himself up for success in terms of managing expectations from the outset. Yep. Whereas Shaw did mix things up, but evidently I don't think really had the cattle or the facilities. We know what kind of a dump Vic Park was at that time. Club was in disarray economically, mm. so he maybe he didn't really wasn't able to really give it a proper shake. Malthouse, and it's it's no surprise that you know we don't mind Malthouse on this podcast. Personally, I think the Malthouse years represent a period of you know relatively sustained success, like he promised. Mm. I mean, in terms of relevance, Malthouse delivered on his promise to create ongoing sustainable performance in the club. Plus mm. there's a few lean years in there. I'm gonna go with Malthouse. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Malthouse as well. I think the other the other note I made when I was conducting this research was geez, we're pretty ruthless. Mm. And like even throwing Buckley into that, like the decisions to sack coaches are never made after like, you know, a, a long sustained period of 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 disappointment. It's kind of like, you know, one or two seasons, and you've got you factor in injuries in all of that, and you factor, you know, mm. premiership hangovers. Like basically, nineteen ninety one was a was a write off because the guys were drunk, right? So mm. it's like when you when you actually weigh that in, and it's like obviously the coach pays for it, like for for um, mm. lack uh, of performance on the field, but. 
we are a very ruthless club when it comes to making decisions around coaches. But we I think ruthless. with the benefit of hindsight, it appears if you look at the stats and the wins and losses and that Bob Rose lost three games at the start of the season and got sacked, hmm. it appears ruthless. But in the moment, and Buckley is a good example, when you live through it week to week in the moment as a supporter and somebody who follows the club, you can often see the trajectory of the team and the way they're playing in a way that the stats don't reflect or the way the wins and losses don't reflect. So we felt probably it's fair to say on this podcast that after 2018 the club had plateaued and was on the way down. And so we are projecting, we're making decisions on Buckley's future based on a projection of what's going to take place, which is we're going to get probably a lot worse before we get better. And I think mm. that get, can get lost when you look back at the history. Now, mm. in the late 90s with Shaw, they might have seemed ruthless, but at the time, I'm not sure how much hope there was in the organisation and in the supporter group for the next premiership. Whereas with all the changes that, that, that took place after that Volvo rolled mm. onto, the, onto the lectern, onto the uh, podium, suddenly that hope was reignited with a fresh face in Malthouse. So it's easy to say that we're ruthless, but I think that possibly doesn't give us full credit as supporters in terms of maybe understanding the longer-term trajectory of any given leadership group. Does that make sense? It does make sense, but I would, I think I would counter that by saying, okay, that's, that's, that's an adequate way of looking at it, but does does the end justify the means? So in making those decisions in the moment with all of the data inputs, they haven't resulted in, you know, success for the football club, like unless you count one flag or two flags within that, within that time frame. So I, I think you can be very quick to pull the trigger on a coach, especially when you're part of a, an organization like Collingwood be, that that demands success. And it kind of goes back to what Lecuria was saying on the last pod where he's like, we're not that good. We need to ditch the ego. Well, if that's the case, mm. then maybe we need to be more patient in how we work through turbulent times because even now the whole metric, and we, we discussed this, but the whole metric is like how, like even the narrative from the media is like who's, like this whole Carlton Collingwood thing this week was like, Who's going to get to the flag first? And like we're talking about like the Dacosian calendar. When are we going to get back to that, mm. you know, back to finals? And it's like maybe we need three or four years not playing finals to amass and build a kind of strong backbone of a club that's going to actually set us up for not one flag, not two, but like three, four, five. And are we as a club, this is a hypothetical, are, are we as an institution, as we are, are we as a club and are we as a supporter base willing to accept that in order to get to where we need to go? Or if there's another year of this shit, are we like, this is crazy, shit's got to change? Yeah, well, I, I contest the idea, the inference that this shit, like that we're just at some really low ebb kind of permanently because even now we're seeing green shoots. Like I mentioned the Terminator. Mm. My check at the start of the pod, and the point of the point of that comment was that we haven't fallen to like woeful levels of football. Mm. We're still tipping in 
we've still got a lot of talent sprinkled throughout the list. We're bringing through young players. And I actually think that most Collingwood supporters are realistic about, you know, when we might come into contention. I think there is a level of patience that's come into the club this year that probably wasn't there in 2019, 2020, because we felt it was our right, you know, we were entitled to more success. We're entitled to be essentially playing off in prelims and grand finals and winning one. But I think that there's more realism in the in the supporter group now than there has been for years. And I think that the appetite for, you know, a three to five year rebuild, which is I think where Graham Wright put it, is mm. there for supporters. Like we don't want to miss finals, but we understand that like, as you say, to build us a, a period of sustained success, we need to create, you know, a list profile that's going to deliver us that. All right. Well, that's a perfect segue into looking forward, not back. Um, and Al, I believe you've been doing some research on the coach search. Damien, listeners will notice that the title of today's podcast is Piehard 29 Headhunters. Now, in the context of the current coach search, which we're all familiar with, that's taking place at the club, our more educated listeners will understand what we might be alluding to here with the term headhunters. But for those of you who haven't put two and two together, let me open up my dictionary here and uh, enlighten you. Is it a digital uh, dictionary or a hardcover? I was just thinking that I need to, like, going to have to add some, like, audio of pages turning or something but here's the dictionary headhunter noun a member of society that collects the heads of dead enemies as trophies oh sorry no that's the wrong one second one a (laughs) headhunter a headhunter is a company or individual that provides employment recruiting services on behalf of the employer headhunters are hired by firms to find talent and to locate individuals who meet specific job requirements that's right Fresh from our ongoing contract as brand consultants to the great club, the team here at Piehard, that's Studio Piehard, have had their remit expanded by good friend Paul Curia, member of the board, to act as official headhunters in the all-important search for a new coach of the biggest club in the land. Now, the purpose of this segment is to be clear and transparent about our process as headhunters how are we going to go about identifying the next coach of the club? Mm. Number one, first of all, I think we need to identify who we hate and strike them off the list. Sorry, Sam Mitchell, you're out. James Hurd, you will not be in consideration. <laughs> yeah, love it. Number two, create a list of key criteria by which to judge any or all relevant candidates for the job. Now, what have you got, Damo? What's your first one? Uh, well, I want to start with uh, physique. And I'm oh, going to ask good, you good, this yeah. question. Good. Okay, I'm going to ask you this question. What 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 do Lee Matthews, Tony Shaw, and Mick Malthouse all have in common? <clears throat> Lee Matthews, Tony Shaw, uh, Mick Malthouse, in terms of physique, mm. I don't think they're tall. Correct. They're all very short. Okay. So <clears throat> Lee Matthews, 178 centimetres or 5 foot 10 inches in the old Dixon. That's legitimately, <clears throat> I mean, for t- in today's game, that's like miniature. Yeah, it's miniature. Tony Shaw, 170 centimetres or five foot seven inches. Oh, that's like a pygmy, pygmy dwarf. And Mick Malthouse, the tallest of the bunch, but relatively small, 180 centimetres or five foot 11 inches. Undersized defender, if I've ever heard it. So taking Buckley out of this, who was only just scraping six feet anyway, 
I'm going to ask you a question. What was Alex. Buckley? 188, 190. Uh, he he was like six, like six feet and change. Not very tall. Okay. But all short. Now I'm going to ask you this question, Alex. How tall do you think Alistair Clarkson is? Short. He's short. He's 177 centimeters or five foot ten inches. So I'm seeing roughly, roughly the same height as Lethal Lee Matthews. Wow. Now, this is I'm going somewhere with this. Now combine this with future captain Taylor Adams, who sits comfortably at 181 centimeters or five feet eleven inches. Mm. There's this pattern emerging, and I'm going to call it Collingwood's short kings. Okay. Now. Churchill, Napoleon, Alexander the Great, mm-hmm. Lennon, Franco, Gandhi, Mick Jagger, Keith mm. Richards, David Bowie, David wow. Bowie, Jared Blair. David Byrne. All short. Mm-hmm. So now that we've established the proper height. How tall um, was Gandhi? Oh, he's always sitting down, wasn't he? So it's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cross-legged. Um, not very tall. Okay, so now that we've established that the height factor is not is an issue, right? So let's look at style. Now we know that Buckley is a hard, he's a very hard act to follow in the fashion states. But Alex, black yes. is a flattening color. It's flattering. It's slimming. Yes. And I've got to say, Nike generally make more fitted attire. So I think the one thing that we need to consider with style, and I hope I've I hope I've addressed this. Um, this segment correctly in doing so, but I want to see no more polo sh- shirts. Yeah, all right? fuck that. Yeah, uh, it's so old. Like the biggest sports in the world, the coaches all wear designer clothing. Yeah, like, like the soccer managers are very well dressed. Soccer managers, like suits, coats, ties, shirts, Armani, Versace. What does John Valentino. Gruden tap on wood John Gruden wear? Xenia. I don't know. He he gets a leave pass because he's a he's rough. He's always wearing a baseball cap. But I, I think gone are the days of the of the polo shirts, and um, yeah. So I think with our with our short kings, yeah. You know those boots with the you know the the boots with the um the razors the risers. You know, oh yeah, kind of like the, the big the big chunky heels, platformy kind of things. Dressed in a Xenia or a Hugo Boss suit, yeah, pa- pacing up and down the, the boundary line. The boundary line, always coaching box. from the boundary, always coaching from the boundary, and screaming at umpires, which we don't see enough of. Okay, not sure exactly. Gil would like that. So that's where I've explored mm-hmm. um, this fertile, rich space now. Uh, yeah, I haven't gone into I, I haven't gone into ranking, and I know that that's something that you will obviously dive into. But a couple of coaches do spring to mind uh, as I've touched on with the short, uh, uh, the short kind of king. There was another short king you missed, I reckon, Tom Hafey. because mm, yes, his exactly. sartorial style. I was looking for him. His sartorial style. In fact, there was a Pie Hard Instagram post recently of him in a um, grand final parade. These arms stretched in a, mm-hmm. a white in jacket. M- in the MG. He had, he was able, he could pull anything off. He was so fit. His physique was great. Let's talk about gravitas. Yeah. So, look, my, um, and by the way, that was a very interesting criteria, um, which we will in due course rate. Uh, any, any people that throw the hat in the ring will be rated on um, physique and dress, really, mm. sartorial style. 
My criteria is gravitas. Now, it's a pretty nebulous concept, but when I talk about gravitas, what I really mean is the level of gruffness, surliness, cantankerousness. How combative are they? How grumpy? Because I believe that gravitas, or otherwise known as belligerence in the media, has a direct correlation with success. Now, the obvious example, we don't need to delve into it, is not the Malthouse pod, but the obvious example is Mick Malthouse. The way he was Mm. able to hold court Mm. at a press conference and and dictate the agenda was something to behold. And if looks Mm. could kill. God, let me tell you, if if you're one of our younger listeners, and we've got a few, who were were perhaps too young to really remember the Malthouse era. Google some of his press conferences. It's good viewing. And my theory is that the reason gravitas or belligerence in the media is important for a Collingwood senior coach is because of this demo. Hmm. It's necessary to invert the hatred in order to protect those within the club from the spotlight and hatred that comes the way of Collingwood year on year. The overwhelming media attention that's thrown at players, staff, anyone that's associated with the club, even supporters, not media attention, but just hatred, mm. you know, that can be that can be a real drain. Mm. And with these press conferences that, that the great the, 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 the coaches of Gravitas uh, tend to perform, you'll find that they're able to be gruff, surly, cantankerous, combative and grumpy all at once. And in so doing, a Collingwood coach with gravitas like Mick Malthouse will be able to essentially take the brunt, a bit like Jesus who died for our sins, take the brunt of all that hatred for the good of the club. Now, I want to rate some of the key candidates uh, based on gravitas and I want Mm. you to pipe in and tell me how I'm going if you agree or disagree with my ratings. Mm. Alastair Clarkson. Now, you might think that a, a, a coach that had won four premierships has gravitas just because of his standing in the football world. I contend not so. As we know from old friend uh, and foundation member of the podcast, Chunky, Clarkson drives a Suzuki Mighty Boy. <laughs> There's no Volvo, you know, convertible Volvo on the Lazy Susan with Clarkson, mm. you cannot have Gravitas and drive a Suzuki Mighty Boy to training. You can't have the respect to the playing group. You can't have the respect to the football world and, most importantly, mm. the media driving a Mighty Boy. Uh, for those that missed that, it was a few podcasts back. Um, true story. Now, my contention is that Clarkson actually, I don't know what you think about this, demo. he's got mm. small man syndrome. A, a coach with gravitas does not have to punch a hole in the coaching box wall <laughs> because he can destroy his enemies with a simple stare. So that kind of like over-the-top physical um, display of aggression, it's small man syndrome, let's call it out. Mm. Clarkson's rating on gravitas is 2 out of 10. I'm sure he's going to be good in other criteria, by the way. I mean, this is, you know, this is just one of the criteria that the headhunters will, will make their selection. Based on. I think that I think that's a little bit harsh, but uh, your your critique because he can hold a room. Uh, he well, does command only when he's got a guitar. He do, he does play guitar. He he does he does command a um an open mic room relatively seamlessly. Uh, and he gets respect, he, but does he have gravitas? All right, next Choco. Oh yeah. Now I'd say I'd say that Choco rates fairly high on this scale 
He's mm. got the silver fox thing going on. I'm not sure about the fox. He's got the silver bit, the mm. salt and pepper hair. He's certainly got the veteran coach status. He's won a premiership. I just think with Choco, the choking was a bit over the top, this choking mm. charade. Like a man yeah. with gravitas doesn't have to do with the big over-the-top choke. It's an insecure man that does that. Does He doesn't have the subtle power of gravitas. Uh, but he's certainly like, you know, he makes a few journalists kind of wither. So I'm going to give Choco a 6 out of 10. Brad Scott. Now, we know the Scott brothers on field. They were fierce, loyal competitors and they match that as coaches, I think. Brad Scott. Is, Bra- is Brad the AFL one? Or the Has he been appointed one? to the AFL? No, Chris Scott's Geelong. Okay. okay Brad yeah. Scott's been mentioned in relation to Collingwood, but he's also been mentioned in relation to like the footy operation gig at the AFL. So it's unclear mm. whether he's actually in the running. Brad Scott, loyal, fierce competitor, a little bit theatrical. Do you remember Brad Scott running onto the ground and almost in a kind of charade, pretending that he might bump David King? Oh, yeah, yeah. He brushed up. Yeah, that's right. He He's did. Like, he went actually to did. almost do yeah, a bump. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah, said yeah. afterwards, there was a time I put my shoulder straight through David King and he didn't respond then either. I'm not about to start doing that again. It just anyone who like physically threatens another member of the media. Thug. Yeah, he's got the thug aspect. We don't want a thug. He's got a bit of gravitas. I don't know, five out of ten. Scott Brothers. I mean, I've had enough of Chris Scott. I'm not sure I could deal with Brad. And it brings us to the final candidate in terms of gravitas at least, veteran coach. He's been mentioned a lot in relation to the job. I'm not sure how serious his connection is um, or the the likelihood is. I'm not sure what you think about this, but Ross Lyon. Now, Mm -hmm. Ross is interesting in terms of gravitas and belligerence in the media, interesting mix of anger, disgust at journalists, but with a laconic delivery. You know, Ross's delivery was always quite unique to him, I think. I actually think on the basis of... um, Gravitas and belligerence. I think that Ross actually rates highly. He's an eight out of ten for me. Mm, um, mm. He probably suffers in other criteria like watchability, um, mm. and I think that is a divisive. He would be a divisive choice as coach of Collingwood. But it stands to mention that uh, Ross certainly can hold his own in a press conference. No grand final successibility. No, I mean, would loses points for that. Let me put the question to you, like the bald-faced question, the honest question. Like, you know, could you see someone like Ross Lyon coaching the club or is it just a – are they just doing it for due diligence, kind of sounding him out? I can see him coaching the Collingwood Football Club and that's what scares the shit out of me because the, the, <laughs> the club has made some very weird decisions over the last 12 months. And, you know, a year ago I would have said no chance, but now I'm just like – I actually have a lot of faith in Graham Wright and mm. I think we've got the right people choosing the right coach. So even what we're doing now, reading the names in the paper on the footy shows, I think it's all it's all an element of theatre because I think Graham Wright has got this one under control. Mm. And I've said on record, I think he's had his man probably six months ago, maybe even before he got into the role. Maybe he knew, you know, who was the right coach and who was the wrong coach. So mm. time will ultimately tell, but I think, um, yeah, I, I don't think Ross is um, is in with a shot on this one. The more I think of it, the more Ross speaks, I just think he's being he's being overtaken by, um, by a few candidates. Knock on Ross is I don't think he's developed a list. He kind of inherited St Kilda and Fremantle to a degree after. Harvey, um, 
and just the stodgy game style. If it didn't, if he didn't have success in that first couple of years, it could be a real issue for the club from a Broadway perspective. Mm. But Damo, you've got um, you got some ideas about who might be who might be a a good choice as senior coach, and you've got some ideas about how we might go about plucking them as headhunters from their current environs. Yeah, look, look, I do, Alex, and look, this all comes back to my my um, kind of own personal crusade to get Collingwood back to being a destination club, mm. and. I don't mean just destination club with players. I mean destination club with coaches and destination club with supporters mm. and destination club with sponsors. And I think the only way you can really do that is with a big blockbuster coach okay. like Mick, like Mick, Mick Malthouse. So I want to – I think there's a way – that we can turn Collingwood into an assistant coach destination club. Yeah. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, my critique on Nathan Buckley was always that he needed sort of highly rated assistants around him to kind of get the best out of him. And when they were taken away with COVID, it was like, oh, yeah, he doesn't have the support that he used to have and all that stuff. Yeah. With Alistair Clarkson, assistants get the best out of him. Alistair Clarkson is a one-man head coach-making machine. Going for the big fish there. Over the years, he has produced more senior head coaches than any other coach I know. So we talk about gravitas. We talk about physique. We talk about height. This is a guy that he is like, he's like forging AFL coaches. And I think, let's, let's, let's go back. Like if we got... If we got an Alistair Clarkson, we are almost overnight transformed into a club that opposition players want to come to, forgetting all of the shit that we've been through over the last 12 months. Imagine being a young footballer at the crossroads, your career's in jeopardy, you're, you're, you haven't had a chance at a flag, you may be looking to come back to Victoria or you're just looking for another club. Imagine the appeal of playing under master coach Alistair Clarkson. Mm. Imagine, imagine a player's manager going, I think this is a really good idea. Clarkson's at Collingwood, you know, all that shit's behind them. You, you know what he's like as a coach. Would you love to be coached by Alistair Clarkson? I think they'd say yes, right? Would you like to be coached by Ross Lyon? Eh, not really. Anyone else? Sam Mitchell, I don't know. I heard he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> so I don't think that we should be pitching Collingwood to Alistair Clarkson. I think we need to be pitching Alistair Clarkson to Collingwood. And this is how I'd do it. Okay. Al Alistair. Yes. You've already cemented your legacy as one of the greatest coaches of the AFL era. Thank you. This isn't about what you can do for Collingwood. We already know that. Okay. This is what Collingwood can do for you. Mm. Point number one, a fresh environment. You need to reinvigorate your career. Two. Arguably, this is the biggest coaching challenge in the AFL. Will you accept? Number three, we have no big egotistical presidents <clears throat> for now. <laughs> Point number four. Till the return of Eddie. 
Point until the return of Eddie's son. Point number four, you've been at Hawthorne for 16 years. You can either stay comfortable or be uncomfortable. Alistair, what do Matthews, Malthouse, Parkin and Barassi have that you don't? They've all won multiple premierships at different clubs. Number six, we will recruit, with your guidance, the three to four best emerging assistant coaches in the league who will drop everything to come to Collingwood to be an assistant coach under the master. Number seven, a five-year deal versus the one-year deal that you currently have at Hawthorne equals job security. And the final point, number eight, is 40% off all Nike gear at mm. the Collingwood Club shop. And a timepiece. Soil. <laughs> and a soiled timepiece. Um, so, Alistair, you don't have to, you actually don't have to play the role of Alistair, but that is what I do, Alex. All right, I would, well, here's my I'd, rep- I'd flip the switch. Look, I respect the approach. I'm not talking as Alistair here, I'm talking as me. <laughs> yeah, okay. I respect the approach and everything you said makes sense, but here's my problem with it. I don't think that anything you said mm. is unique to Collingwood. I think every club in the land will be throwing those same elements. And if you're an interstate club, some of those elements are even more enticing. So like a new environment, new challenge, you know, that kind of stuff. Like Collingwood's two, just a point, trip point down the road. Two, point number two, the biggest coaching challenge in the AFL Will you accept? Look, the biggest coaching challenge in the AFL is probably like the Gold Coast. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, I think that we can work with these pillars that you've established, but I think we need to add some sex and some branded, some some branding in there. And I think that what it kind of comes down to is like playing on, playing more on the heritage of the place, um, the big time aspect, the blockbuster fatigue. That we love. The more blockbuster fatigue we have, the better we're doing. Mm. And I think that somehow there needs to be like a bit of that razzle dazzle around what you've put forward. Stick him in a Lexus exactly. on a lazy I Susan. Mean, That's your razzle dazzle. Yeah. Put him in a put him in a Suzuki Mighty a Boy. Pim- a pimped out Mighty Boy, which is like extended, like one of those stretch hummers. A stretch Suzuki Mighty Boy rolling onto the podium in the middle of Victoria Park. My other point is that. Mm. But in, in in the era of COVID, with the reduction in you know soft cap reduction in salaries across the board, it'll be interesting to see what kind of a team they can put around someone like Clarkson because they're going to have to pull out every little gold ingot in the McAllister grave, you know, in in the Pharaoh's tomb, in mm. order to pay this guy. I mean, he's, people will talk about one million a year. Um, I don't see that getting it done. Like it's got to be a, a a godfather offer, you know. It's got to be something which, it's got to be immense to get someone like Clarkson. Because I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing. Does it have to be that immense? Because he doesn't have a job at the end of next year. He's unemployed. Mate, he can he can pick any job in the league. Like the problem is, talking candidly, I agree. I we wa- I agree money. we probably I, I want him, but the fact is that. I don't think he's in it for the money. He's a he's a what four times premiership coach. He's been in the system for sixteen years. I, so I what's think he in I, it for? Is he going to take a year off and just like come? He'll waltz into any job in the lead league. Challenge, challenge, ambition, like list. Like he'll look at he'll be looking at all that stuff. He won't he won't make a decision based on who has who throws the most cash at him. That would be crazy. 
Gold Coast would probably throw the most cash at him. Well, look, the weekend's game was called the Clarkson Cup versus mm. Carlton. Mm. Today's game, actually, recording on Sunday. Mm. Do you think that as Alistair Clarkson, you're looking at that game? And there's a lot of talk about Carlton being the front runners. I noticed that Teague, who's the opposite of Gravitas, mm. has basically conceded that the club's oh, going to yeah. go after Clarkson, which is sad. Yeah, but bad. a lot of people are saying that Carlton's in the box seat for him. If you're mm. looking and try to take your magpie button off for a moment, mm. if mm. you're looking mm. at today's game um, as Alistair Clarkson, which list are you taking and which club? Uh, oh, look, it's not for me to say. It's not, it's not for me to answer that because I don't know the machinations of this guy's brain. Um, but on list alone, I think it's out of Sam, I'd be weighing up two things, right? Sam Walsh versus Nick Dacos. <laughs> that the would Walsh be, versus I would, Dacos dichotomy. I like it. I, I would make the decision based on those two. And whoever player he likes the most or, or believes in the most, go that direction because they're generational players and you get to coach them. See, I think it'll be more like he knows that after three years in this in a senior gig, the pressure's on, the heat's on. I think it's he's going to look at players like Darcy Moore, and and he'll lick his lips at someone like Darcy Moore who can be still in their prime at you know twenty nine and three years, um, who can deliver more immediate success, not immediate, mm. but not this long term rebuild. But look, I think that it is going to be. We've talked about the Dacostian calendar. We said seven years, could be five. But mm. it's mid-2020s before we start contending, we think. And whether we get Clarkson or not, um, it's going to be very interesting to see what the state of the club is, what the state of the board is, what the state of the leadership group is, who we've traded in and out. This is a massive period of flux. And I think that Clarkson is the best candidate. Hard to argue with that, right? But there's other names in the mix, and um, I wouldn't put it past the coaching selection panel. Mm. Wouldn't put it past them just going for someone who's got a little bit of the gravitas, but not much, but has a bit of experience, a bit of veteran status. You've got names like Don Pike in there. Michael Voss has been thrown at, thrown up a lot mm. in recent days. Mm. Doesn't fill me with excitement. Sam Mitchell we don't like, and he's out of the running. Russ Lyon we've talked about. It's kind of slim pickings. That's the honest truth. If we don't get mm. Clarko, fucked. Mm. Okay, well, it feels good to get that off our chest. I think this is the first time we've really delved into the coaching um, scenario of the Collingwood Football Club at the moment. Now, this is obviously live and rolling out week by week by week by week, and this isn't the only time we'll be talking about coaching Al, but uh, yeah, interesting to dive in and yeah, would love to know your thoughts at Hard Podcast on Instagram, at Hard Podcast on Twitter. We are the podcast that is a little bit like the, uh, the Tony Shaw game plan, very attacking um, maybe not uh, as defensive as we should be, but uh, guaranteed to be a good show and narrowly missing out on the finals uh, every year. But 
We rock up for the love of the game, the love of the black and white. And Alex, thank you as always for joining us from your uh, den. I'm sure you're off to cook a lovely Sunday evening feast. I'm going to harbour a guess and say it's a Sunday roast that you've got on the cards tonight. Am Risotto. Risotto. Okay. Well, that's mm. feels to me more like a midweek meal, but that's um, that's excellent. And uh, you're going to get some time back tonight. So enjoy the 8.30 p.m. movie, whatever that should be. Oh, we're getting what time back? Is daylight saving? R- what? No, no, risotto. That doesn't take long to go. It's like 20 minutes, isn't it? Oh, it depends how... How you simmer down that arborio? I mean, it can All take. Right. If you, you know, you gotta, you've got to take care. You can really fuck up that sorry. Right. <laughs> okay. Just so you can fuck it up. All right. So be careful out there if you are cooking a risotto. This is pie hard. <laughs> Your last line is: Be careful out there if you are cooking a risotto. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's good. <laughs>